Hello, and welcome to Bobby and Yen's presented by Zwift. One thing I'm thankful for is still being able to train with friends on Zwift any time of the day. Being motivated by the massive community means there's always someone to ride with and new locations to explore. Like the new Japanese-inspired Makuri Islands and my personal favorite route, the Mega Pretzel on Watopia. Riding with friends makes the training easier and they always know how to push me. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and as always, fresh off a nice family vacation in Austria, Mr. Jens Vogt. Jensi, how you doing, buddy? Um, doing well, doing well. Um, just um, had uh, a day of work getting the house back in the shape we wanted it to be after we left it with two of our teenage kids alone. We needed some work. Uh, there needed some work to be done to get it all in the status we like it to be in. Without covering more of that, the <laughs> holiday, <laughs> the holiday was actually great. We had some relaxing types, some hiking. Um, I went to the uh, sauna a few times, uh, fitness, um, all-inclusive food. Did a bit of archery with the boys. And my funny highlight is to our listeners, I went there with the three youngest daughters, my wife, my son Julian, and a friend of him. So he would have a friend of his age. They're both 22 years old. Now, one day we did rent mountain bikes and they had two electric mountain bikes and one normal one. So now keep in mind, me, I am older as them two boys together, right? Keep that in mind. Now, My dear listeners, have an educated guest who ended up with the mountain bike without the engine in there. Yeah, that's pretty easy. Shut up, legs. You know, you, you got you got the short end of the stick on that one. But um, I, I clearly did. Well, yeah, uh, just getting ready for the big Hincapi 10x Grand Fondo week here in Greenville, South Carolina. But over the weekend, um, had my anniversary. My 23rd wedding anniversary. Uh, Jens, you know my wife quite well because she used to call you my uh, my second wife. So yeah, we are. It was it was a good time, you know. But man, I looked at it and we've been together for 29 years, married for 23. So I got to get something, you know. I guess 25 is a big one. Uh, silver, I think they call it. So. I got two years to plan for that because it kind of just snuck up on me. Don't tell my wife that, but um, I managed to go out and kind of save the day with some flowers and a card and stuff like that. But um, yeah, after 30 years together, you kind of uh, tend to uh, let some days slip your memory, um, but saved right at the end, saved right at the end. Well, anyway, today... You know, with, with October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month as well as Down Syndrome Awareness Month, we wanted to speak with someone who uses the bike and biking as a way to raise funds and awareness for great causes. Today, we sat down with Jeff Coombs. 
who's an Australian who, with two friends back in 2007, founded the Tour de Cure. Since then, they have raised over 75 million Australian dollars, funded 563 cancer projects, and achieved 50 significant cancer breakthroughs. The Tour de Cure is one of many organizations that help people through the spirit of the bicycle. Sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy this interview with Jeff. Jeff, first of all, I got to say it's so good to see you and to catch up with you. You haven't changed a bit. You haven't uh -huh. aged a bit. I would actually say you look slimmer and younger than before. You did you had a lot of time to train lately? <laughs> Jens, I think Zoom is doing me a favor, but that's absolutely a, uh, I'll take the compliment, but sadly it's not true. Look, the COVID environment has has made us train differently. So in Australia we've we've certainly had lockdowns and we're not allowed to leave our local government area and I'm very fortunate to live in a pretty amazing area to ride. But for others, the the Zwifts and Full Gas and others has been the the savior, I think. Yeah, well, let, to our listeners, let's just uh, give Jeff a, a hall pass for his alarm because it's 5.30 in the morning down in Australia right now. So that was his time to normally get up, but he got up to speak with us. So yeah, you know, you guys have definitely had it a little bit more difficult uh, than it seems like the rest of the world. But, you know, you got to make lemons out of, you know, lemonade out of lemons sometimes. So thank you for getting up so early and, and coming on and, and speaking with us. Pleasure. Jens is, uh, Jens is a great mate of Tour de Cure, and he's done so much for us. It's nice to be able to uh, catch up again. So, Jeff, take us back all the way. Where and how did you get your first bike? And did you fall in love with the bike, or was it more means of transport for you? Good question. Um, I remember as a young kid, and we're talking kind of 9, 10, I had a bike, but my parents were expats, so dad worked for Qantas, so we traveled a lot. So... The, the traveling didn't mean you could often travel with a bike, but then came back and finished my schooling in, in Australia. And then about five years afterwards, a buddy said that um, he was going to ride across America. And I was like, that sounds awesome. When? And he goes, in three months. It's like, righto, where are we meeting? So we, we met in New York. We found a bike shop. We bought identical, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the bikes, but identical bikes. We bought a map and a little bit of camping equipment. We caught a train to Vermont. And uh, we set off to ride from Vermont to Vancouver. So nine and a half weeks of cycling was certainly a baptism, um, having not ridden a lot, but knew as a young kid, and I've, I've got a photo of me with one of those choppers, you know, the big handlebar bikes. Um, so I've always loved it. And that big bike ride across America just cemented the fact that seeing a country by bike, you know, the relationships that you form with people that you meet on the bike, um, being a traveler by bike is, is pretty special. Um, yeah, now I get to do it lots i i've heard you know we we've talked to people that have done the race across america on our podcast but they go the opposite way because of the winds <laughs> how was it did that was was that did that factor in like we're going to make this as hard as possible let alone you know doing basically a transcontinental little little jaunt on our bicycles uh, or was this <laughs> like did you just throw a dart one day because you know we have Jens and I have a lot of Australian friends and you know when they first get the opportunity to travel somewhere they're just like let's go they don't really think about it they don't really plan it they just get there and you know Aussie spirit just 
get on with it, mate. That's exactly so, right. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell us a little bit more about that parkour and, you know, yeah, the interesting people that you met along the way. Oh, look, you are so right. And one of the biggest lessons that I took from that was to understand the wind direction because I just didn't even contemplate it. Um, we were very lucky. Within a week of our ride, we met two American guys, um, Mike Doolan and Mike Berg, and they were both doing exactly the same trip, but they were going from Portland, Maine to Oregon, I think it was. So we ended up kind of riding together with them for the next seven weeks, which was incredible because at the same age, for the same reason, no reason. Um, but yes, the the experience certainly taught us that the winds have a big influence. We had some incredible days where it was, I mean, we were trying to do a hundred miles a day, you know, on mountain bikes with pioneers. Um, but it was, there was a few days that were particularly tough. Um, I do remember at one stage we had this howling wind. I can't remember whether, I think we were in Montana. Um, and we decided that the best thing we could do uh, was to try and sit it out. And as we kind of found a little shelter, we saw across the road, there was a train, like a, a, a cargo train. Anyway, being uh, <laughs> being a little bit adventurous, we went up to the to the driver, and this is like take like this is like 1996. You probably couldn't even try and do this now, um, but we asked if there was any way that we could kind of get a lift. Anyway, he took us down, and we found uh, um, what was it the the U-Haul of a truck sitting on top of one of the carriages. So you've got this shelter above us, and then I remember we've hopped in there and we've kind of thrown the tarps around us because it was raining sideways. And then we, we got a lift for, oh, let's call it a couple hundred miles, I think it was, um, to a spot. And we're going past all these intersections where the cars have stopped. We're giving all these people a wave. But, yeah, the wind was was a huge factor that we just didn't, didn't appreciate. We're very lucky. I think we only had probably three days of rain over the, the entire trip. But then we ended up getting to Kamloops and, um, you know, pitched a tent every single night except for a couple Anyway, this one morning we woke up and there was three centimetres of snow. You know, we were not prepared for any snow. Um, so, yeah, lots of, I mean, that, that adventurous spirit just to take it on. Um, but the, the hospitality that we were shown by people, you know, two Aussies and two Americans riding around the countryside, you know, wife beater singlets on and, you know, just a, a healthy tan and that big smile on your face from an incredible adventure meant that, you know, the people would invite us, they'd come and chat to us over breakfast, they'd drive you know, 60 miles the next day having baked us banana bread because they knew where we were going to be and they wanted to, to come and can give it to us. So, yeah, that was, it was an incredible trip. And at that time in my life was, you know, I couldn't have pictured anything better. And the winds, you know, the winds, the wind. You just got to learn how to deal with it. So do you still have contact with some of your old team members, your Australian friend or the Americans? You still stay in contact now? <laughs> Yes, you do. Yeah, look, Nick, the guy who I rode with and who I slept with, in, slept next to in a very tiny little two-person tent. He and I are great mates. Um, we both sort of now have uh, three kids each, so he and I catch up, you know, a couple of times a year, and there's some good stories. Um, the two Mikes, one of them was, you know, he just didn't click, but the other one, Mike, you know, attended his wedding, regular updates. So yeah, it was it was certainly a trip that forged long-term friendships. Um, I then went on and, and finished in, in Whistler and did the ski season and then worked as a mountain bike tour guide and whitewater rafting tour guide. So, you know, that was the beginning of a three-year travel for me. Um, so those first three months were pretty incredible. Yeah, I was just going to ask how long that, that took from start to finish, but, you know, three years 
riding bikes, working at ski resorts. I mean, you saw probably some some pretty amazing parts of America, that's for sure. Oh, look, and, and again, you just to see it by bike and no matter where you ride, you guys ride as often, but, you know, the smells, the sounds, the familiar things, you just don't pick up even in your in a convertible car. So, yeah, it really was. We did trips down through Moab, um, rode from L.A. up to San Francisco, and then I parked the bike in a storage shed, um, actually one of the, one of the Mike's storage shed, and then, uh, yeah, went down through South America and spent three and a half months just kind of backpacking around South America. Caught a bus literally all the way around South America except for a boat up the Amazon. <laughs> okay, so I got to ask, what was your favorite part, state, um, location in America? Because it sounds like you saw pretty much everything. Maybe your your favorite city or state. Uh, that's a good question. Look, San Fran's amazing. Um, Montana was beautiful. Um, you know, North Dakota and South Dakota had their charms about them. You know, um, I absolutely loved Moab. That was that was a special spot. Ended up dating a girl that lived in Vegas, so spent more time in Vegas than I probably should. Um, yeah, look, the the states was the states was great. You know, Canada for me is a very special. I, it feels like home. You know, the ocean and the mountains was that perfect combination of where you would choose to live. Sadly, our mountains here in Australia are six hours away, so it's not so easy to kind of go for a, a surf in the morning and then go for a ski in the afternoon as you could if you lived in Vancouver. So after that long trip, did you ever thought about racing your bike or are you nah, racing, it's not for me? Well, look, no. And I did a couple of races. I must admit, I came back from traveling, had had ridden the mountain bike. So, and then worked as, as a mountain bike guide in Canada in Whistler before Whistler is now this mecca for all things extreme mountain biking. We used to do tours from, we'd catch the gondola up and then take people on different rides down the back of the mountain. No, look, I did I did a few races once I got into road cycling, got into triathlons for a while and did the half Ironmans. I remember doing a couple of Criterion races when I was living in Melbourne and every race there was a crash, you know, B grade, C grade, whatever it was, but every race there was a crash. I remember getting caught up in one and I kind of aquaplane to a, to a stop, you know, rear derailers sucked in through the rear wheel. Everyone else is down, broken, you know, not broken, but certainly battered. I had a thousand bucks worth of damage to my bike. Everyone else has got a little bit of bark off. And I'm like, this isn't cool. <laughs> so, yes, I think I've done three or four races. Um, I'll send you a photo, Jens, of um, me at the front of, a, front of a race. And I've obviously heard something behind and literally behind me, there's this guy whose face is planting onto the ground. And there's this incredible capture from this photographer. Um, but his face is literally just hitting the ground as, this, as we've taken this shot. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. and, and that is bike racing. But I kind of went, ah, oh, you know, I'm not good enough for that. You know, I can do long distance. I can mix it up a bit on a, in a sprint with the lads. But no, I was never, never at your levels, both of your level. Well, now let's get to the real meat and potatoes here. You know, so you, you're riding around meeting friends on a bicycle and all of a sudden you go out for coffee with three friends back in 2007 and you come up with the idea of the Tour de Cure. Tell us how that all started and, and, and how, how it's going right now. Yeah, look, it was, you know, from 1996 when I did the ride across America to 2007 in that window. And I remember when I rode from LA up to San Fran, I chatted to a few guys and they're like, gosh, imagine if you could do this for a cause. 
and that idea kind of really cemented at that point. Um, but you know, you're an Aussie, you have no networks, no financial backing. Um, but 10 years later, I had some great mates and the idea of giving back had started to grow. You get to that point in your life where you want to have more purpose in your life and found yourself doing the grow your mows and, and big walks and shave your heads and kind of realised that all those things back then were for cancer. You know, watched watched Lance when he's doing what he was doing for with Livestrong in those earliest years. And the idea of doing something for a cause here. And I remember looking up big bike rides and there was a, a group here called Two to Kids. And they had the ex-pro athletes, the rugby players, the CEOs, the, the big, big end of town. And I remember being scared. I remember thinking, I can't, you know, I'd, I'd be intimidated to, to, you know, show up next to these guys. Anyway, the idea of going, well, I know how to ride a bike. Sam, one of the other co-founders, is his incredible logistics event guru. Gary, you know, a bit of a marketing genius. And the idea of all, all of us coming together going, you know, we can create something. Here we go, you know, masters of everything, you know, efforts of none. So we, we set about trying to go, right, well, if we're going to do something, what would we do? Who would we do it for? And the idea of Tour de Cure kind of launched from that going, let's, let's try and raise $2 million dollars in four years, um, cancer jumped out as needing the most help here in Australia and still does. Um, and off we went. So the first ride, we were pretty clueless. There was 25 riders and three support crew. And we rode from Brisbane to Sydney, literally down the highway, didn't deviate much. And we did 1,100 kilometres, I think, and thought it was epic. Um, raised just over a quarter of a million of that $2 million target in four years and we're away. And then good fortune and um, built on some really solid foundations of engaging with the corporate sector. And that's where we're particularly strong. Um, yes, we had Lexus as a sponsor. We had a, a coffee brand, obviously. Um, and those, a number of those businesses are still with us today. But fast forward 15 years, we've just raised over $75 million dollars. Um, a lot more sophisticated now in, in where we purpose those funds around helping to cure cancer. So we have a, an independent grants committee that um, are very diligent on making sure that those funds towards research, support and prevention really have the impact. Um, and yeah, now we have, what do we have, 18 or 19 events across rides, walks, gala, lunches. Um, and we'd have in that first year where we have 20, 28 people take part. Now we've got over 10,000 people a year that get involved in those rides, walks and gala. I always loved how you explained that, you know, when you had the welcoming speech when we all get together for the Tour de Cure, uh, to our viewers, they didn't know I did five of them. And I promise I will do a try. I will do at least 10. So I'm halfway there. I come back, Jeff, count on me. I come back while soon as we have this COVID situation under control. Uh, um, yeah. You're welcome anytime. At your, welcoming, at your welcoming speech, I remember you always said, look, we try to give the money there where people look through the microscope, where it's really needed, where you really do the research and you will hopefully find a new cure. Yep. Um, and also maybe tell our viewers or our listeners a little bit about the communities. When we do the signature to the cure, every night we do give away a check for a local um, for a local organization. Maybe tell our tell the people a little bit about that. Sure. Um, Jens, you're one of these reasons why I think we've been successful, mate. If I look back over the last 15 years, some introductions and some relationships that have really taken us to that next level. And 
we we have a, a media presenter here called Mark Beretta who suddenly gave us a national audience through his number one breakfast rating show. Um, so and he's now twelve years later still with us and and going strong. Jens and Drew Jin and some other um, incredible athletes, but kind of the right kind of source for for Tour de Cure. But yeah, over those years, we've now, you know, the the events have grown, the corporates that we now work with um, keep coming back and introducing more and more people. Yeah, it's it's become a it's become a community. And as you said, each night when we go into a town and we're away 25 odd nights a year across all these different tours, um, we we donate ten thousand dollars to a local cancer charity. So I think we've just crested through two million dollars in local in regional cancer grants. Um, which is our little way of thanking the town that's allowed us to visit um, and host us and then also kind of make a, a fairly significant impact in that town with the res- or the support services that they need around cancer. So it's definitely sophisticated a lot, Jens, since, since you've been with us. And I think those first five years, COVID kind of threw us that curveball of not being able to get you back. But, you know, you're, you're a regular conversation piece when we're on tour and everyone would love to see you back and bobby open invitation anytime you want to come and uh, come and see our fair country there's there's a good chance Jens, that in 2023 yep um we'll be cresting through that 100 million in funds raised so yeah let's let's get you back for that one hopefully COVID allows it <laughs> yep that's a good plan i think by then we should be on top of it Or at least we have to learn how to live with it. And yes, count me in. I will be back. Brilliant. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get a hard copy of Valley News magazine, choose two books a year from VeloPress, access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Peloton Magazine and Backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter Bobby Jens 25 all one word lowercase At checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and you make a good deal great. And now, back to our chat with Jeff. I would like to hear maybe like a funny story from one of these adventures, one of these fundraising things, because I have one that Yen shared with me that... Um, That, that I'll add a little bit later. But, you know, when you're doing these sort of events, you're doing it and, you know, out of the goodness of your heart and people, you see the best of people come out during these times. Yep. And everyone's making a special effort. Everyone's going through their fundraising um, steps, you know, step by step to, you know, to, to help the entire organization. But along the way, There's got to be some like funny Yenzi story in there. Oh, uh, look, there is one that, that comes to mind. We were, it might be one of your first tours, Jens. We were riding from Adelaide to Melbourne, I think it was, or Adelaide to Canberra. 
and we've left Adelaide and it's sideways rain and we typically get good weather. So, and we, you know, that, that early lesson of understanding the weather patterns is definitely first and foremost in planning these things. But we've hit sideways rain. We've made it, we've crossed over this little punt. We've got a 40K stretch to get to this little town. And Jens has just said, I go to the front. And we had a few guest riders who kind of, kind of said, oh, this is my chance to ride with Jens. Anyway, the rain's literally going straight into it. Jens looks as comfortable as anything. He's shelling people who can't sit next to him. We're all kind of tucked in behind Jens just trying to get there. Anyway, we get to this town, a lovely welcome. We're in this, um, it was a bowling club where they've kind of said they're going to host us um, just to, to welcome. And then we had to go to multiple accommodations. And anyway, I remember kind of looking around, I was like, where's Jens? The rain's still coming in. Jens is out on the lawn playing croquet, I think it was, or lawn bowls or something with some of the locals. <laughs> yeah, I remember, Jens, yes. You know, the rest of us are inside shivering, trying to have something warm and get to, you know, Jens has, has done a, a serious day on the bike by our standards, probably not, you know, as one of those domestic duties. Um, but, yeah, it was it was one of those days just to really encapsulate what this person, Jens Voigt, was all about because, it wasn't about suddenly getting to this town and, you know, hey, I need my room. And I think even that night, Jens, we put you in some really bad accommodation, didn't we? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, uh, and, and <laughs> I think that was still one of the better ones. It was a tiny, tiny little town. I remember that. Yeah, I remember. We we had the first three days, we had rain. And in the in, in the middle, we stopped... Um, we stopped somewhere where the, the Tour on Under passes. That's correct, yeah. Um, uh, I just can't get the name. And if the weather was so bad that half of us was hiding in a public restroom because it was at least dry inside. It was more comfortable to hang out in the public restroom because weather yeah. was cold, as you said, wind coming in sideways. Yeah, that was a that was an epic day. <laughs> First day, um, just leaving Adelaide and um, along the coastline a little bit. Um, and we ended up in Victor Harbor, I believe, that night. That's it. Yeah. It was the next day, yeah. the next day that we had the, the bowling ground. I can't remember the small town. I do remember once, Jens, and I think it was even on that same trip, we were, uh, you know, three or four days in. And when we used to, when we're rolling as a peloton, if we get a flat tire, the mechanics would drop to the back, help change the tire, and then the peloton would slow down to what we called a rolling speed, you know, 22 kilometres an hour, 15, 16 miles an hour. Um and then Jens and there's about four or five of us that had stayed back to, to do the, the tire change. And I remember saying, Jens, shall we do a, you know, a, a little time trial? <laughs> the next thing you know, you should have seen the, the faces on these four other guys who are like, they were, we're all handy cyclists and we were strong and fit. And then we've chopped off turns to get back to the group um, in record time. And just, you know, we had a few guys with GoPros on and the footage of that, just seeing it, it's as close as we'll ever get to, to riding with a legend like Jens in, in what would be that sort of chase back environment. But yeah, that was, that was special. Well, my funny story, my funny story of how um, I was introduced to your organization was, I don't know if this was 2017 or even 16, 18, when Jens called me up at the beginning of the, the popularity of doing an Everstein challenge. So Jensi, what, what year do you think that was that you, you did that? Um, was it Probably 2000? Yes, 16, I believe. Yeah, it was I early doors. It was early doors because yeah. no one yeah. had ever called me up and said, how do I train for this? But fortunately, I had a friend that had done it before. 
So I'm like, man, location is so important. Yen's, you know, the steepness of the climb, you know, you got to make sure that your Garmin is charged because if you run out of batteries, you know, mm -hmm. three quarters of the way up, you lose the whole thing. So he's like, yeah, okay, okay. And we're taking these notes down. And then I said, Yenzi, where are you going to do this? <laughs> and what time of year are you going to do it in? And he goes, oh, I want to do it in Berlin. You know, it's it was like the first or second week of January. He was getting all antsy. He needed to do something. He needed a challenge. So he decided to do Everesting up a 80-meter climb in Berlin in the basically the middle of the winter. And man, I tell you, you know, we're going through all these details and then all of a sudden I'm sitting there going, wait a second, like it's going to be more dangerous coming down than going up because he's going to be in the, in the snow, the ice. How long is it going to take him? You know, like what is the record now? Like just over 10 hours or less than 10 hours. Yeah. Yenzi, I was like, Yenzi, I don't know. You may need a couple more spare Garmin batteries. Cause that's going to take you a long time. And what did it wind up taking you Yenzi? Like over 24 hours? Yeah, 26 hours, I believe. Yeah, I had to change the, the brake pads because they were gone, because it was just muddy and rainy for uh, some parts. But the most important part, we raised close to 50,000 Australian dollars in charity. Yep. That was just awesome. <laughs> and I was never alone, not even at 2 or 3 in the morning. I always had a few people with me on my side. Huge support from the local cycling community. And lots of people watched it on uh, Facebook and on uh, social media. So it was a good success. But yes, it wasn't easy, I have to admit. Incredible success, man. Incredible. No, that that was great. That was great. And even to have even a tiny part of that with, you know, consulting with him on a couple things. I mean, he obviously had to do the work. And didn't you get tendonitis in your wrist from having to brake so hard coming on coming the way down? Didn't you have some mm. issue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit on my, on my uh, wrist, yeah. I mean, there's the um, easy way to do it, Everstein. Not that Everstein is easy, but Jens always has to do it the Yenzi way, which is, you know, shut up legs, hands, whatever, you know, just yep. get it done. But, um, you know, only Yenzi could do something like that. I, I would need like a warm weather climate with a, you know, a tailwind up and a express descent down. But uh, Yenzi found right. a way to, to make it quite... <laughs> But also, um, talking about the Everesting Challenge uh, reminds me that um, Tour de Cure is still very, very important. There's so much help still needed in the fight against cancer. Remember that young woman, she did the Everesting Challenge. And I believe about two years later, the cancer took her away from us. Yeah. So there's always, there's really happy end stories in the Tour de Cure. You know, people, they go, oh, five years ago, they gave me six more months and I'm still here riding my bike to you. But um, I remember we had one father of two uh, lovely young daughters. He was my roommate in the first year. Three years later, it was only his uh, wife and the children Nathan. supporting us. And yep. yeah, Nathan, yeah. And going, daddy, we miss you. Yeah. Or uh, I still tear up when I talk about it. That young boy, go little legs. And um, I think he was about six, seven years old. Yeah. And uh, also cancer has taken, taken him away from us. So <clears throat> there is still need for more to the cure to come in the next years. Look, you're right, mate. And it is personal now. I remember when I started to the cure, didn't have any, any connections to cancer, um, but it needed help. And now with the friends that we've lost, my mum's had a number of melanomas cut out. Sam, one of our co-founders, her mum is 
really doing it tough now, having kind of succumbed to breast cancer and now it's spread to the brain. You know, seven years later, she's she's done it tough. But I think all those messages around how we should try and prevent cancer are so important. You know, Yenza's was a big part in a number of our school visits. Um, so we go and teach kids how to prevent cancer through healthy lifestyle choices. You know, the mantra of be fit, be healthy, be happy. And, you know, if we can get kids to kind of consider those lifestyle choices now, then it's going to have a long-term impact. Obviously, in Australia, the sun is, is, an, is one of our worst kind of influences on kids and, and adults with melanoma and skin cancer. But, yeah, the, <clears throat> the impact that we need to have, I think COVID, if anything, has shown us that, you know, the scientists are brilliant. You know, they just need the funding to be able to chase their hypotheses and, and we will get those breakthroughs. So, Jens, I think when you laughed less, we've had about 18 cancer breakthroughs, so scientific cancer breakthroughs. We've just passed through 51, um, which is our measure of success. So, you know, we need to keep pursuing those brilliant breakthroughs in order to get it. And I guess for all of your listeners, if you look at what cancer is and, you know, understand your family history, get back and get regular, you know, we've, we've all stayed indoors and, and probably haven't got those relationships with our doctors that we need to have. But those regular checkups, your bowel, your prostate, your breast, you know, your skin, all those sorts of things. Because we know that if you catch cancer early, your options for treatment are incredible compared to when you have, when it's metastasized, it's traveled through the body and then you're playing catch up. So, you know, don't be shy, learn your family history around cancer go and visit your doctor, ask for those regular checkups. You know, Sam, our, our co-founder, her mum had neglected to, to, to follow up on her breast cancer screening. You know, sadly, she's, she's you know, it's, it's, it's going to take her. But that's, that's the opportunity that we all have. And for all of us with kids, you know, let's, let's do the right thing for them. Let's help them get, through, get to a point where this isn't going to be a disease that they need to lose their grandparents or, or deal with when they get older. That's a great point. Um, without really realizing it, um, you know, I'm turning 50 here pretty soon. And, you know, this last year, year and a half, you kind of canceled all your doctor's appointments, your dentist appointments, stuff like that. So I think that point of, you know, getting, getting back on track and, and, um, you know, making sure that you have all those visits and all those checkups. Um, you know, my mother, was affected by breast cancer, you know, in the, in the mid eighties and she continuously goes back for these checkups. And I have to admit, she's, she always makes me a little nervous when she says she's going in for it. And then, you know, very relieved when she comes out and says that, you know, there's no issues, but is there any chance of a tour to cure, uh, coming to Europe or America, or is it just an Australian thing right now? Oh, Bobby, you know what? It's, it's, it's not something we wouldn't do. I think, Everything that we still, you know, our, our influence and our ability to have a, a big impact here in Australia is there. It's pretty hard to kind of plan an overseas charity ride. You know, it doesn't feel right when you're asking people to donate to you if you're on this, you know, gallivanting trip around the world. Um, look, we, we have a lot yet to do still in Australia. There's, there's certainly a chance that we might get into New Zealand and, and go and explore that region and, and look after our cousins down there. Um, don't rule it out. There's definitely a chance. You know, we're 15 years young. Who knows what the next 15 years hold? <laughs> hey, um, just to finish on a on a smiling note here, after all these serious messages we passed across, tell our listeners maybe a little about about the Tour de Cure gala dinner when you uh, had uh, 
Mr. Hogan there, the original <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. How is that to me, the legend of your youth? Yeah. Is he like Crocodile Dundee or how did that turn out? How, how did people like that one? So, yes, we, we kind of explored Gala as a, as a revenue option for the charity probably eight or nine years ago. And one of our board members is, you know, she does Gala and she does it incredibly well. And she brought the idea of us kind of going, well, we could do one. And segueing away from lots of blokes in Lycra to suddenly no Lycra and black ties and blitz. And, you know, we're now raising plus two and a half million a year from multiple, so three or four gala events um, and attracted a completely different audience. But Dom Robinson, this this lady who's the chair of our gala, um, she knows um, Crocodile Lundy. She knows Mr. Hogan very well. I think her husband's a lawyer and, and is his lawyer. And then suddenly Mike is is there. Sorry, Paul Hogan is there. And he's, you know, a guest and he gets up on stage. And you can imagine the audience, this icon of Australian um, cinema, getting up there. And he was so poignant in, you know, funny as hell, and but very quick to come straight back to the cause of the night and to relate our impact and the, the potential of the guest that night to suddenly be able to go, right, here's your chance. Let's be the country that helps to cure cancer, you know, and, and Paul's been a, an ambassador for us for a number of years now. Um, <clears throat> when he can, he's come back and I think he's done, similar to you, Jens, I think he's done five trips back to, to join our gala. Um, you know, we love having him here. He's definitely a character. Um, but, yes, it's it's a treat. And I think over the years we've, we've been introduced to some incredible, you know, people such as yourself and, and others who join us and bring the very best of themselves and they really shine on what is an ambassador you know what does it mean to come and give of your you know your personality your identity to support a cause and you certainly see those that are there because you know and and that authentic who they are comes and shines and others who kind of have an agenda around being involved so you know we're lucky to have met yourself and a number of other Aussie sports stars that, you know, come and join us once a year. Um, and, yes, we've had um, Eric Banner come and ride with us and a great fella. Um, obviously, Paul and Paul, we're not, we're not going to see Paul Hogan on a bike, but, you know, that's the nice part of Tour de Cure now is that we have other opportunities for people to come and um, lean in, I guess. Come and join us on a walk. Come and be part of our gala. Come and speak when we go and do, do events with kids at schools. That was a great chat, I must say. Was on a personal note, good to catch up with you. I think we covered a lot of important messages here. So um, I guess um, we just want to say thank you for being our guest, for getting out of bed so early. And what's the rest of the day going to look like for you? Uh, I've got Getting the house ready or out on a bike ride? <laughs> no, I've got a, another Zoom that I'm watching, not, not speaking at, but watching very shortly, which will be interesting, talking about cycling uh, in Australia. Um, so with the international cycling executives, it's a, it's a power-packed one with some big identities and our treasurer. So looking forward to that shortly. Got a board meeting later on today. <laughs> Never my favourite day of the, of the month. Um, yeah, still finishing. Kids come over. Yen, since since I've last seen you, um, I'm dating a girl who has three kids. So my three and her three, I think I've almost got the same as you. So there you go. That's <laughs> fantastic. Six. Six. Now I know why you go riding so often. <laughs> <laughs> We should go on a family trip together. Your six kids, my six kids. That would be, oh, can you imagine the conversations we would have? Oh, my God. Nice. Yes. So, Jeff. New world. 
We, uh, yeah, just want to um, let you get on with your day. Thanks a million again for being our guest, for being such a great guest. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Terrific. Thanks, Jens. Bobby, really nice to meet you. Anytime, mate, come and join us for a ride in Australia. We'd love to catch up. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on and uh, go have a couple flat whites for us. <laughs> Definitely will. Cheers, all. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Jeff for being our guest. Thank you all for listening. Please find a way to give us a five-star review and make sure to share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shocked Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mosa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Before we go, a quick word from our sponsor Zwift. One of the most fun parts about cycling is climbing. So why not try Garrett Thomas's athlete workout, Fun is Flying Uphill. A great pillar of any climber is muscular endurance and believe me when I say, that's what you'll get. Testing yourself on training plans alongside world-class cyclists is what makes Zwift so exciting. I can't wait to show my friends the fitness I built at home. All you need is a bike, trainer, and the Zwift app. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on.